And now for our feature presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Botching It Up podcast. Every bruise, bump, and botch. Wrestling, you've been put on notice. Oh, let's get ready to ramble! What's up? This is Botch It Up podcast, and this week we're talking about Clash of Champions 10, Texas Shootout. Uh, this is part of our 90s saga. As always, you're with me, Benito, and my good friend, Basil. You're here with Tuxedo Terry. And I've got something beautiful dangling from my ear. And I'm going to get my holster and point that right at your quiver. Tuxedo Terry. He's going to bring us a lot of laughs over the next two hours. What a beautiful man. So, Clash of Champions 10. This is part two of our 90s saga after we did Royal Rumble. This is WCW, obviously. So, this happened in February 6, 1990 at the Memorium Coliseum at Corpus Christi, Texas. There was about 3,000 people in attendance. I do love the fact that you have decided to start using facts, real-life hard Wikipedia facts to, to introduce I know, these I know you love it. So, this was a fairly small crowd, but... I think I've told you before, I actually really love these intimate, small venues. It makes the wrestling show, as long as there's enough people to have a a loud atmosphere, it really makes it intimate and quite special looking. Definitely a hot southern crowd and sort of the same thing that happened to the Impact Zone before it became too jaded with people that just wanted to visit Orlando Studios. There's a real atmosphere to a small crowd going mental, especially if they're southern. JR swears blind that this was a sold out crowd, but... The ramp was really long and there was a ton of space, like just empty space between the ring and the stage along the ramp side. Do you think they did that on purpose or do you think there was a load of seats unsold? Yeah, I don't necessarily believe that this was a sold out crowd. Uh, I think that was was the sort of ramp style that WCW were going for at that point because maybe a year or two years before this, they'd only just become WCW. This was one of the first WCW shows and... I'm not sure whether you noticed, but the actual WCW logo and mention of the title of the company is nowhere to be seen on this show. So I'm not sure whether it was a really early iteration or they just hadn't, they didn't really want to plug it or they hadn't decided on a name yet. But um, it was NWA about a year before. And this was one of the starting points into a new sort of promotion with a different feel to it. So we've got Jim Cornette and Jim Ross on commentary. This is actually a really awesome duo. They bounce off each other so well. Yeah, and they've not been used in other companies all that much, like as a duo together. Cornette's a weird one on commentary because he can be excellent. Just like most of Jim Cornette's output, he could, he's one of those guys that definitely needs the right play-by-play guy with him to bounce off his jokes and bounce off his opinions and Jim Ross presented that to him and which made it such an affable duo like right from the get-go uh Cornette's pointing his uh tennis racket at, at, at the screen and like pretending to shoot it and he's calling Jim Ross's uh, girlfriend a horse he's just going full out Cornette and you know <laughs> Ross Ross is there Ross is lapping it up I think those two were, were quite good friends for a while yeah, you can definitely feel chemistry between them. And this is Cornette's heyday as well, so he's right at home. You referenced it already, the third man on our broadcast tonight is Terry Funk. Couldn't this man just do everything? Like, yeah, just just imagine an alternate world where uh, Jerry Lawler didn't get the job. 
and Vince McMahon needed an alternate Southern boy to be part of the commentary team. Uh, Terry Funk could have been an announcer. He could have been a commentator. He could have been a backstage interviewer. He could have done anything. Terry Funk is so slick here. He definitely gives it his all tonight. There is one segment quite later in the show with Lex Luger. He's falling apart and Terry Funk is like just keeping it together long enough for us to get through this segment to the advert break. This is what old school wrestlers talk about, I think, when they mention guys knowing all aspects of the business. Like, I can quite clearly tell that Terry could easily go work a camera. He, he knows how to do everything. He knows how to do it well. Um, can we also talk about the cheap shootout of wrestlers out, uh, in, outside the shootout saloon? The opening montage, the opening video package. What a wonderful ready-made meme that was. I, I love that. This, that's what I'm saying. This, this is like, it's 100% redneck, and it's quite clearly low on cash. And throughout the show, you can tell that despite not having much cash, they do their very best with it. You know, even small subtleties. They like the uh, for each match you have a wanted poster to represent the the guys fighting each other. Really made the show feel special for me. The real story of this entire show is that they're building up to Ric Flair versus Sting at Wrestle War, which will be the next pay per view coming up at the end of the same month. And their whole story runs all the way through this card. So Sting has been a honorary member of the Four Horsemen since Starcade. Is that right? Well, you know what? I actually had no idea of this. This must have been a point in history that I haven't actually gotten to in in WCW. So when Sting turned up and he, apparently he was part of the Horsemen, I had no idea, and it just came out of nowhere to me. So I think they were um, testing whether the Horsemen could be face for a couple of months, aligning him with Sting, or Sting aligning with them, and he was bringing out the good side of them. So we have an interview early on in the show. Terry Funk is interviewing all of the horsemen. We've got Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair and Sting. And Ole Anderson, just as a bully that he is, decides that Sting is no longer a horseman and that he has to give up his um, match that he's got with Ric Flair at Wrestle War. Yeah, this was a great group heel beatdown of Sting. They're just throwing him around the ring. Uh, Flair goes overboard as usual and, and just slaps him fully in the face. And it, apparently, if they don't, if he doesn't con, uh, cancel the contract at Wrestle War, then he's out of the Horsemen, and they they're gonna beat the ever living shit out of him. Um, yeah, he's a dead man. Really, really set up the show for the rest of the show. And again, as you said earlier, I really enjoyed that this ran through the entire strain of the show. You had matches uh, that were going on, and the commentary team was still talking about this Sting Flair thing. Not to the behest, not to the the downfall of the matches that they were currently viewing, because the matches they were viewing were either throwaway in themselves or they paid attention at the right times. It's what WWE tries to do with Michael Cole when they get bored of a match in front of their faces and just start talking about the main event angle. But here they gave more respect to what they were also seeing in ring and were were very cleverly juggling the main angle that they were selling throughout this entire show while also paying some respect to the matches taking place. Yeah, WWE definitely can't do that nowadays. They try, but they, they do a really bad judge, job of it. it. It actually comes off as disrespectful to whatever's going on in the ring. So this comes out of nowhere for Ric Flair. He looks legit shot. Either his acting is amazing or he... I, well, of course he was expecting this. I'm sure it was planned. But... 
his face is being shocked and then they're manhandling him and he just doesn't know what to do he doesn't know what to say it's fantastic it seems very very realistic and also do you want to watch the match now because it Coming cold into this angle, not knowing Flair, uh, Sting was even part of the Four Horsemen, I immediately wanted to go set down my hard-earned dime and have a look at that main event at WrestleWar. I'm sorry to say to you, I don't know if you know this information yet, but later on tonight, Sting actually gets injured and this match never happens. I did not know that. What? I was really looking forward to this at WrestleWar. Yeah, no. So he actually gets injured. We'll talk about it in a minute in the closing segment of the night. Well, do you want to do you want to walk through this Sting stuff? Because this was the main part of the show, really. This is what we were looking at. So later on uh, in the night, the four horsemen are backstage. And like you said, all night, Jim Ross is telling us that Ole Anderson wants Sting to go back to the bookers and tell them that the match is off, to tear up the contract. And Sting has until the end of tonight to cancel the match, which obviously he doesn't do. So we get them backstage with Gordon Sully later on. With a beautiful green robe. Flair's wearing another diamond-studded, crestfallen, wheeling-dealing green robe. Looks a million dollars as And is always. it just me? This is kind of Ric Flair's story. It's his match. But Ole Anderson is really sealing the spotlight tonight. Oh Yeah, Ollie, uh, all out of everyone, I, I think, w- was uh, determined to get himself in front of the camera. He He's kind of the on-force guy who creates this whole situation. And then he's also the guy that seems to be talking the most. When, you, which, when you've got flair there, that's, that's a strange occurrence. Yeah. I, I did notice that as well. And I wonder if it's got any... This might be completely wrong. I'm, I don't know much about history in the early 90s and 80s. But I'm wondering if maybe what happened with Tully is causing Old Anderson to like prove his worth on the roster. So Tully had gone to WWF and they had fired him because of uh, a drinking problem. Uh, NWA, WCW said that they would hire him back. But then when he turned up to one of the shows, I actually believe the main show before this one, um, they offered him a quarter of the pay that he, they had originally offered him and he walked away because they didn't think that he was really worth it. And then he didn't think it was worth his time. So I'm wondering if the other boys in the Four Horsemen were kind of like stepping it up, make sure that they've definitely got a place on the card. That's a, a really good assumption. And I'm glad to know what happened with Tully Blanchard. But I can inform you that I think the reason for this was that Oli Anderson was on a, a major part of the booking team by 1990. So I, I think okay. as opposed to positioning himself, he, he actually can, he's allowed to, and he's showing himself off, I reckon, at this point, because it, he's he's half writing the show. So I think he knows Flair's already over. He knows Arn's over as a worker. And Ollie's, Ollie's in the in the Horseman has always kind of been that guy. Like if you if you look back in, in history, Arn was the scientific wrestler. Tully Blanchard was the, the natural. Ric Flair was... Ric Flair and Ol was kind of Arn's brother so I think mm. at this point in time he was actually just trying to promote himself with some sort of exaggerated character to get himself over to the crowd okay that's cool because Arn Anderson is kind of more like the enforcer of the group right and then Ric Flair is obviously like the star yeah I mean, but Arn, Arn could also go in the ring whereas Ol was kind of ignored a little bit so I, I think that's why he was pushing himself. And then uh, he finally gives the mic over to Ric Flair, and then we get a classic Ric Flair promo where he goes crazy. Basically, nothing he says makes any fucking sense, but you still get super pumped for the match that's about to happen. It, it made 
more sense than any of the cocained Royal Rumble entrance from 1990. Let's put it that way. So our main event of the evening is Muta, the Dragon Master, and Mad Dog, Dog Buzz Sawyer, who is my standout guy of the night. We'll get to him in a minute. Versus Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Sting in a cage match. So just on card, without knowing the angle, without seeing what this show had been building up to, isn't that just a stacked main event? A cage match with the four horsemen, the great Muta. Buzz Sawyer's very famous for for being a little bit um, garbage in the 80s, like garbage match style, like hard, hard going. So he was a, an attraction as well at that point. I'm not too familiar with the Dragon Master, but like this looks like a hell of a main event on the surface. And I also misspoke. Sting obviously isn't in the match now because he's not a part of the Four Horsemen anymore. So he's now been uh, swapped with Ole Anderson. Well, given the, the duration of the match, I don't really blame you because Sting was pretty much the main event player here. Uh, right. So obviously the whole show is building to Sting versus Flair and Sting comes out not even halfway through this cage match, like, really towards the beginning and him and Ric Flair are yelling at each other through the cage both of them climb up the cage to try and brawl at the, at the top pretty much 90% of this match the camera is on Ric Flair or Sting and I just want to I just want to give props to this Buzz Sawyer guy and Arn Anderson actually trying to deliver a proper decent match in the ring and the camera is barely on them for more than five minutes and uh, this mad dog guy is going for it he jumps off the top of the cage um, he takes a um, pole driver from Arn Anderson, lands directly on the top of his head, really tries to get himself over, and the cameras barely even give a fuck about him. But I mean, to I feel bad for to him. his credit, like he was also even taking proper headshots to the cage. He wasn't putting his hands in front of him. He was uh, he was taking mm. those still grating punishments, and yeah, yeah, Buzz was definitely aware of the fact that nobody was going to be paying attention to him and thus did his very best to make people pay attention to him but i'm not sure i feel sorry for him because everybody going into this knew what this was about it was flair sting it was an angle it it wasn't really a match so i i do believe that buzz sawyer in a way went into business for himself or or tried to and i've also i got a shout but why would you Really? Like, surely you know the cameras are going to barely be on you. Why land on your head that many times? Jump off the top of the cage. Like, put your body at serious risk when you know the cameras are just looking at Sting. Maybe it's a Hogan Rock situation. Uh, maybe Buzz Sawyer was the old guard and he'd watch this new plucky dick come into WCW named Cactus Jack doing his gimmick, doing his crazy bumps. And he was just like, no, you know what? I'm not taking it. Maybe. Yeah, that's fair. I've I've also got to give a shout out to the great Muta's ego, who did nothing in this match, but decided to get on the top of the turnbuckle every single time Ric Flair got on the top of the turnbuckle. As if to say, yeah, I know there's an angle going on right now, but I'm the great Muta. So every single time Flair is higher than me in height, I will also get to his level. (laughs) This was just this was absurdly crazy. It was just absolute nonsense and towards the end. Muta didn't do anything else. He literally stood stood at the ropes and then every time Flair got up he would get up. But nobody knew yeah. why he was getting up. There was no reason for him to get to the top of the turnbuckle. It was it looked like he was desperately trying to get Flair to pay some attention to him and Flair obviously wasn't interested. It was quite sad to be honest. 
But this Red Dragon Master barely did anything either. It was literally just Buzz Sawyer and Arn Anderson having a match in a cage. And then, for whatever reason, Ric Flair was just stood on the side shouting at Sting. That's all that happened for about eight minutes. But what an angle that is. Let's let's take yeah. away from the idea of the fact that it was a match. The, ang- yeah, okay. the, the angle was killer. It's exactly the sort of thing, again, that old guys talk about. This is how you sell a pay-per-view. This is money. To be fair, that, that's what the Clash of Champions was made for. It, it was a, a a TV event. They, they get they're not you're not going to get your money's worth because you're not paying. So I have absolutely no problem with this being completely angle focused. And if the Musa goes away with a bruised ego, so be it. You know, I thought it was a fantastic angle. And it, just the the credits rolling when when Flair just suicide dives into like eight guys and like nearly lands on his head is just amazing. It's it's such a great ending to a show. One of the best I've seen so th- in ages. The imagery was really cool of Ric Flair standing at the top of the cage and Sting climbing up to meet him up there. And then they uh, they brawl while both standing at the top of the cage. Flair's boys try and pull him down. A lot of security and, I guess, backstage office try and pull Sting down. And they're holding Sting back while shouting at him. The match ends and Ric Flair, like a rocket, sprints out of that cage. Uh, him and Sting meet on the rampway and start brawling. This was great stuff. Really great stuff. Um, you, you've actually really bummed me out. Somehow you've managed to make me upset about an event that happened 30 years ago. But to make you feel better, Sting heals and he finally meets Ric Flair at the Great American Bash. I want to say it's in June. So we, we've, we've got six months to wait in terms of months, but in terms of actually shows, I think we've only got one other show to watch before you finally get that match. Generally speaking, I thought you had an issue with this because we watched this together, and you you were like you were like uh, uh, you know I wasn't quite a fan of some of this stuff. I didn't but- like the match. I like I love the story that they told and how they build up for this pay per view match that they're gonna have. I just didn't love that Buzz Sawyer put his life on the line and got maybe a minute worth of camera time. But then when you say it's not really a match, it's an angle, and I agree with you. Like ah, oh, that's okay, let it go. I think Buzz went into business for himself, but uh, yeah. But this, this, if this was on a pay per view, and you'd given me that lineup, and you'd given me this sort of lethal lockdown style event, then I got that. I would be pissed off. But this, this is a TV show. We have to remember that. Um, no, no, really great stuff. And it, I mean, it just finished off a, a show that I enjoyed immensely, especially just coming straight off of watching Royal Rumble 1990. This was, you know, this was really good stuff. Um, so my next. Obviously, I'm biased. I want to talk about Mick Foley. Oh yeah, man. I'm. I wanted to talk about this as but well. But I really want to just tell you. Just I want to. I love it. Mick Foley comes out. Obviously, he's Cactus Jack at the moment, but he's announced as Captain Jack Manson. Fantastic. To Johnny Depp for gimmick infringement, man. <laughs> I, I guess Johnny Depp doesn't really need any more libel suits. Yeah, not right now. Leave off him. Yeah. Well, no, he's meant to be Cactus Jack, but the announcer just didn't care, I guess. Or got, I don't know, whatever. I assume the Manson gimmick was him trying to be crazy, uh, like Charles, Yeah, but apparently right? he hated it. He didn't love the idea of him being connected to that, but then the bookers at WCW thought it added an ed- like an extra danger edge and made him seem crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. but he didn't love it. Uh, this th- you never know what you're going to find on a WCW show. Do you know anything? Do you know much of anything about Mil Mascara? I've never watched a match with him before. I know of the name, and he's an absolute legend in Lucha Libre in Mexico. I actually listened to JR talk about him in a podcast, and he was saying that this guy is 
I don't like the Ric Flair of Mexico. He's absolutely huge. Um, in 1990, I don't know for sure. I haven't got my facts right, but he's like in his late eight, uh, late forties, something like that. Yeah. But yep. obviously, no one in WCW really knows who he is, <laughs> and he just comes this, out. This redneck crowd had no idea who he was. They just all sat on their hands. They went yeah. mental for Norman the Lunatic. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, Mascara is no one and this Crickets. guy's Lucha Libre royalty he's been um, in like 40 50 movies as well I was so here for this shit Cactus 1990 Cactus Jack versus Mil Mascaras. Uh, by the way the only thing I've ever seen Mil Mascaras in is the Royal Rumble 1997 where he eliminated himself by doing a dive over the top rope and not understanding the fucking rules absolutely fantastic <laughs> which is something that to to this day i still feel like penta would do you know yeah these crazy mexicans man so he absolutely embarrasses cactus jack with locks and holes and fancy transitions and cactus jack all he wants to do is jump off stuff yeah and... well i mean mil mascaras at this point in in time nobody could say that he couldn't work but in the opening seconds he does a drop toe hold into a bow and arrow submission, into a half crab in like literally six, seven seconds. What I found weird about this match is I never thought these styles would gel at all, and yet they completely did. No, it made for a really fun match, but I feel like for a moment there, Foley was just stood there and just let this guy do what he had to do to him, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, Foley, Ric Flair gave such a bad name to Mick Foley in his autobiography. I've never agreed with it. Foley, Flair said to Foley that he was basically just a, a guy that was really good at falling off things. But when right under his nose in WCW in 1990, Foley really showed off his actual wrestling chops during this time. Even in 1992, he always had some of the best matches on the card. And it's, it's I wish this match had been longer and I wish it had been on a pay-per-view. Because it was far, too, I mean, it was far too short. It was kind of just a throwaway match, but he he clearly showed that he was very good at doing multiple things here, Cactus Jack. Yeah, yeah. So this match went five minutes long, so yeah. not an awful lot of time to really get across your lucha libre style or your crazy brawling, um, but just enough to like hint at both men could do what the other man was was good at. It's also nice to see that Foley has been filling his matches with subtleties for his entire career. There's a little moment where he rolls out of the ring because he's had enough of Mascaras actually wrestling him and falls backwards over a chair, yeah. which which looked like it was on purpose. He definitely did that for a reason. Uh, but it, he's been doing that sort of... It's nice to know he's been doing that sort of stuff for 30-plus years. So I think he did that on purpose because apparently his shtick early on in the 90s is that he's an idiot. He has no intelligence. JR belittles him quite a lot, and that's just his gimmick. He also had a well. He had a book in his corner, which the title was "I'm in urgent need of advice." Yeah. So that was his gimmick. Nobody explained it, but he, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess he's uh, a purveyor of self-help guides. Maybe he's uh, Charles Manson's long-lost bastard son, and he's trying to work his way through life following the scarring of his of his father's upbringing of him <laughs> you're looking way more deeper into this than anyone else did i always at, try at to time. provide backstory when they don't explain anything i'm sure me. foley was probably trying to do that kind of character work but i bet no one else was 
I'm I'm so here for Foley. I'm uh, I'm so glad that he's in this promotion in 1990 and we get to watch him. I hope he's on the pay per view and he's not like a C list guy. He takes a classic sick bump, falling backwards right onto the concrete, which was. Don't those concrete bumps, like even in 2020, just look absolutely devastatingly painful? Horrible. Yeah. Even now, the crazy shit that people do in AEW, There's Foley the- stuff still stands up. There's nothing nothing more grim-looking and more shudder-inducing than a concrete bump, especially if you're doing it backwards. Um, it's the reason that Darby Allen works so well, although that he, he's, he's slowly killing himself. Because he just does these insane... Back- it's the backwards thing, I think. Not just the, the concrete, but uh, not looking behind you as you just fall. It's the loss to- of control. Yeah, you can't see that in any other any other sport. Mil Mascaris wins this match because obviously he's a legend; he deserves to. And then Cactus Jack, for whatever reason, after the advert break, just starts attacking the live band and just goes full on for the drummer. Such good stuff, man. Yeah, just I, on a rampage. That's one thing I wanted to talk about with the the finish as the credits were rolling, uh, coming back from break. It's exciting, like when. When they take an advert break, it comes back with something exciting. It doesn't come back with an advert for Snickers. It doesn't come back with a backstage promo. It comes back, something is happening. Even if you don't really know why, it's fun. It's interesting. And this was throughout the show. It's really ironic to me that the freshest stuff I've watched over the past couple of weeks came from 1990. It's telling that illusion that we've talked about quite a few times. Um, that this is a real event, this is a real world that we're watching and stuff is always happening and it's not just pause and play while we, the the viewer, is watching. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I'm really here for that. Where do you want to go now? So, <laughs> we go anywhere you want, mate. Well, let's talk about Norman because you mentioned him. And this, this is an interesting guy. So again, this is another gimmick where the guy's got apparently no intelligence whatsoever. Um, and he walks around with soft, cuddly toys. And he's a face. He gives these toys to the kids as he's walking to the ring. And the crowd just seem to love him. <laughs> uh, well, there's a point here. Uh, it is, as you said, the 6th of February. So as Norman the lunatic, after he, first of all, he visits the zoo and pets the pigs and says one of them looks like Kevin Sullivan. Then he comes down to the ring and starts passing out valentines. And Jim Cornette says to JR, what is he doing? He's a lunatic. What is he doing? And JR tries to pass it off. Oh, he's just handing out valentines to the kids, which was weird enough. And then Jim Cornette says, uh, he's a child molester. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And JR's like, that's enough that's enough Jim but to be fair to Cornette why is Norman the lunatic who's wearing institution wearing hospital issue costumes handing out valentines yeah no it it comes across an early 90s thing it comes across super creepy I don't think it's meant to I think what they were going for is that he has the brain of a child and just likes toys and childish things Again, nothing is off the table with uh, Jim Cornette. And I was going to say that this was a little bit too far, but then recently I watched a promo with Kurt Angle talking to some guy, and he called him a little boy. And then he was like, I like playing with little boys. And then he looked at himself and started going 
of course I didn't mean that. Of course I didn't mean that. So maybe there is, uh, just like everything else in society, wrestling took a long time to take paedophilia seriously. Yeah, probably. Gordon Sully is with Norman backstage before immediately before their match. And he's explaining how a Fool's Count Anywhere match works. And Norman says, I can pin him anywhere in the ring. No, anywhere. I can pin him anywhere on the floor. No, anywhere in the building. So it really selling the idea that this guy's just got no no smarts whatsoever. Yeah. Which leads into the Fool's Count Anywhere match with Kevin Sullivan. Which, whatever, it's a Fool's Count Anywhere match. It is what it is. But just the ending of this match. And again, by the way, gimmick infringement. Somebody sue Eugene. This was Eugene. Yeah. There's there's no difference in the in those two characters. This was weird. Like it was awkward. I wasn't expecting it to be good. Kevin Sullivan took about two three minutes to take Norman's shirt off, but nobody really knew why. Um, and then, as you say, it goes into the back. Norman and Sullivan go in the women's bathroom. The camera isn't allowed in. A, wo- a woman uh, comes out running, screaming for her life. Gordon Soley, an absolute legend in the commentary business, who used to commentate one-hour matches between Gerald Briscoe and Jack Briscoe, is trying to sell this stuff as a legitimate event, and then just gives up. (laughs) (laughs) He he says one sentence, and then he's like, you know what, I'm not getting paid for this shit, I'm Gordon Soley, and just stops talking. And then Norman apparently wins inside and comes out holding a toilet seat and toilet roll. So, I mean, you wouldn't want to be Kevin Sullivan that night, would you? Absolutely not. What? Just an absolute rubbish. Speaking of Kevin Soley, this was the point where he was going out with Chris Benoit's wife, Nancy Benoit. And right at the start of the show, she turns up. She's called Woman. Yep. And she sits down in the crowd. And we never see her again. This is this is something so bizarre that I actually had to look up what happened. And I found a piece of video of Shivani talking about this. And that she is meant to be managing Doom, uh, right. Ron Simmons, and the other guy. Uh, but and she actually... And yeah, and what he thinks actually happened is they, they confused the match card up. And that that tag match was meant to be next. <laughs> so woman came out in the middle of Doctor Death's match with uh, that oh, sa- with that Savage guy, Samoan Savage. Jim Ross and Cornette don't really say anything other than "Oh, there's woman," and Cornette says something sexist about how she looks. Yeah. And then they never mention her again. And then we don't ever see her again. But apparently she walks. She doesn't walk in, but she walks out with Doom. <laughs> But it's never was explained. This, was this uh, live or taped? Do you know? I don't know. Because surely that's a sort of production gaffe that you could probably sort out at some point in the show. Because she, um, as far as I'm aware, she didn't even turn up in the Doom match, did she? No, apparently she's still ringside somewhere and then she walks out with them. Like, so they can't even remember which tag matches they've got. No. <laughs> so because I thought I thought the the placing of the mod squad versus flying Brian and Z Man, but I mean by the way, how do you get a gimmick where you're the Z Man? But I thought the placing of that was pretty good because it was out of the whole show, pretty much the only match that required no attention, pure filler, so that they could talk about the sting angle that they'd just witnessed. So I thought that that would 
had been there on on purpose, but obviously not. But maybe they switched it up, like, and nobody told woman, uh, and then <laughs> she still went with what she was told, like the day before or whatever, oh, and man. Uh, just a whole shit shit. So the mod squad or the job squad ha, <laughs> versus Brian from, Pillman and the Z Man. From uh, the badlands of Louisiana, by yeah, the way. Yeah, well, they're absolute jokers. <laughs> You can't take them seriously as professional wrestlers. They were fumbling around themselves all over the place. They're two dudes that look like extras in the YMCA music video. Honestly, I'm not really, I'm not really sure what this was about. Like everything was weird. It was quite clear that Pillman had talent even in 1990, but he's just he seems to be stuck in a swamp of losers. And like Jim Ross was bored in this match. He 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 went on a weird tangent about how the the Z Man is a bachelor. Do you know what the Z-Man was? No idea. Sorry. Okay. I've never I've never heard... His real name's Tom Zeke. I've never heard of him before. Oh, I guess he's Tom, Tom Zink the Z-Man, right? Yeah. What a gimmick. So, uh, this really feels like it was meant to be a squash match just to put Brian Pillman and Tom Zeke over. To give you a little context, between now and the next pay-per-view... They win uh, a tournament just on weekly TV shows and become the United States Tag Team Champions. So I think so this, this was this was just a squash to put them over. But then the mod squad takes them to a 10-minute match. Well, that's what I was thinking as I was sitting watching this. I was thinking maybe the mod squad have gone into business for themselves with two young guys because they know they can. Because this made no sense at all. There is Just looking at them, let alone their gimmick, let alone their name, there is no conceivable reason as to why these guys should be getting any offense at all which is why i assumed it might just be drawn out so that they could talk about the sting gimmick some more uh but i couldn't find it and this was um you probably won't find this funny i already told you but literally it's the first thing that came into my mind um they brought they they bring the mod squad bring pillman to the turnbuckle and then do this really weird maneuver where one of the mod squad, I think the, the handlebar mod squad, handlebar mod, <laughs> holds his hands on Pillman's shoulders and then really awkwardly like slides down his back with his knees, which didn't look like a move at all, but it, it really just did remind me of a badger on a raft sliding down a waterfall and Pillman was the waterfall. But the, I couldn't find any way that that, move would have hurt it looked like a slide and pillman was the slide yeah I, these two just look like a joke completely uh, apparently they were they're, a joke. apparently they're apparently they're proper journeymen they'd been around for a long time to this point but i think always on the undercard well i'm sure that they could beat me up and i don't wish ill will on anyone but i really do hope that they got changed in the hallways I just, I just don't understand why they had a nine-minute, fifty-three-second match, <laughs> and Mil Mascaris, a living legend of Mexico, and Cactus Jack got less than five, five minutes. minutes. Yeah, no, it made no sense at all. No sense I, I at would, all. I would like to think that it was for the reason that I was talking about, p- selling the flare angle. But I mean, after what you've told me about woman, maybe. <laughs> they just got the times mixed up as well and they just assumed that this was the doom match and gave them 10 minutes oh my maybe, god <laughs> maybe they were following the same script well the steiner brothers and doom went 13 minutes so yeah possibly they gave them like round about the same time 
if we're st- if we're doing a WWF versus WCW nineteen ninety war, I have to admit that I think the Rockers were a better alternative than Brian Pillman and the Z Man. Oh, I've got a point to make about the Rockers, but next time when Ooh. we talk about Wrestle War, there's a little prequel, a little sneak peek for you. Looking forward to it. Sure. Um, Samoan Savage versus Doctor Death Steve Williams. That's yeah, right, this... Samoan Savage. So this opened the show. Yeah. Uh, th- so did you see the Samoan Savage's manager? Uh, Big Kahuna. Big Kahuna. He looks like he's wearing a mask of somebody else's face over his own. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> we go straight from that monstrosity to Steve Williams putting a guy in an ambulance and shouting at the driver to go. And I was trying to figure out, like, why is Steve Williams an ambulance guy? And then I realized he's called Dr. Death. Yeah. But <laughs> if <laughs> if he's an ambulance guy and he's Dr. Death, does that mean the guy is already dead? Yeah. So he only he's an ambulance worker that only deals with dead people as opposed to people that are dying. Yeah. For sure. Cool. I really liked him. <laughs> I thought it was great. I, I really loved, there's about four matches that had those really silly little video intros before the match. Um, the Road Warriors had it where they're just beating the shit out of a uh, oh. beating up old car. See, that was a precursor to the attitude, that stuff. I mm. thought that was such a good, because um, they can't talk. They, 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 you know, like they do the water rush thing. They're fun. They're energetic. They're exciting. But they, they're a sort of team that really needs that stuff to make them look beast, and that worked incredibly. Doctor Death and his ambulance less so, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> it, so nice Jr's best friends w- with Doctor Death. Yes. So, uh, oh yeah, I, I actually wanted to ask you: don't you, don't you really wish that Doctor Death had won the brawl for all instead of Bart Gunn? Yeah. I don't know whether you that, know this. That was but, the plan, uh, wasn't it? So, so yeah, the, the the whole thing was set up for Dr. Death Steve Williams and Bart Gunn won it out of the blue by accident because nobody believed it was a hard case. But Steve Williams, from that Brawl for All tournament, was originally supposed to go to WrestleMania and face Steve Austin. And that's a, a better alternate reality than, I think, what we got in the end. Yeah, because uh, I remember watching him when we were doing the ministry stuff and he was just like JR's bodyguard. For a while yeah yeah when and, jr turned heel <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and uh really that's that's the majority of his run in wwf um but i think we're going to see a lot of him in wcw over the next couple of shows oh i'm looking forward years to it. even i i watched quite a bit of wcw uh saturday night from 1993 and found it to be a really enjoyable program so i think even if we don't necessarily enjoy the big WWF shows, we're going to be enjoying the WCW ones. Anyway, so Steve Williams absolutely wrecks this Samoan guy for a little bit before he can get a reversal. And I got, Samoan Savage. Yeah, and so I, I wrote down here, there's more wrestling moves in the first three minutes of this match than there was of the entirety of Royal Rumble 1990. <laughs> uh, these, yeah. dudes, these guys go for it. I mean, it's only a seven-minute match, but this is a great opener. And you made a good point about the entirety of this show. I think one, of, maybe one of the reasons why we enjoyed it so much, they go right out the bell. Like mm-hmm. even even Norman the Lunatic and Kevin Sullivan, the bell rings. They go hard. Uh, it was it was throughout the entire show. There's no not a hell of a lot of posturing. There's not a lot of 
jumping up and down, running around, looking at the crowd and running back out again. These guys just, when the bell went, just regardless of their ability, they tried their best to have a proper wrestling match. Well, it's uh, it's just a different style, isn't it? WWF was the big men with the big moves, and WCW feels like it's a fight, you know? It's rough. We would 100% be WCW slash NWA fans during this era, without without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there was a, it was an okay match. It wasn't anything shout out it, this was obviously the first match on the show so all i was thinking of is as we said like uh how this was so much less cartoonish and and actually more so what i tuned in wrestlers for t- tuned into wrestling for um, i wasn't so sure about the samoans name though no Even in but... 1990 that was a bit over the top yeah there's a few things we've said now we're like ah, oh, different era but 1990 isn't it's 30 years ago now but like the world wasn't all that much different surely the way i compare it to myself when i'm trying to figure out whether it was a different time or not is by comparing it to everything else in media in 1990 if you had a character in a film in a hollywood film called samoan savage there would probably been a a hell of a lot of backlash about that and this is where wrestling still exists in its little bubble yeah, where you can get away with things like this, and we say this because I mean, WCW was more catered to the Southern territories and was a little bit seen as a little bit more backyard and redneck. But WWF had uh, people like Kamala, the, the Ugandan giant, who had a, a a trainer and like who carried him on a leash. There wasn't a hell of a lot of difference. This was just wrestling in general at this point in time. Well, you had Junkyard Dog in what? 88 that's a black man in a chain collar yeah yeah again the undertones but he Mm -hmm. i mean i guess at at the very least junkyard dog managed to turn himself baby face and like get somewhere with it but then again like coco beware playing up a, a black jamaican gimmick and yeah it's every it's everywhere in wrestling right at this point in time wrestling's always 10 years behind the common accepted pc let's not go back to talk about akeem again let's move on okay so we got the road warriors are they called the road warriors in wcw or they called something else i've they're called the road warriors in wcw but i've literally always been confused by their name because they also call themselves the legion of doom in wcw so they're the legion of doom the the road warriors whereas in w once they get to wwf they're just the legion of doom right okay got it We've finally figured out why Teddy Long liked putting so many people one-on-one with The Undertaker. So, this is The Undertaker's first match as a skyscraper. Mean Mark. Mean Mark Calloway. With uh, Dan Spivy, who later went on to become... Dangerous Dan. Waylon Mercy. Oh, yeah. really? That's that guy. Who's the inspiration for later for Bray, Bray Wyatt's... Wyatt, yeah. Mark even sticks his tongue out here. Did you notice that as a precursor? Like, the gimmick may, might have already even been in his head. Or maybe Vince McMahon watched this show and is like, there's my guy, you know? <laughs> when did when did Undertaker turn up in WWF? Uh, the end of the year, I think. Oh, the end of 1990? Yeah, yeah. So, so this Real was soon. the sort of time. Because in his documentary, he says he's called into the office and told that he's never going to draw a dime. Oh, uh, shit. I- Survivor Series this year is the 30th anniversary. So, yes, yeah, Survivor Series yeah. 1990. Yeah, that's that's why I told you when we were doing the Royal Rumble review 
the first manager of him was uh, Bo- Brother, Brother Love. Love. I much prefer Teddy Long over Brother Love. Yeah, definitely. Teddy Long is a lot this, of fun here. He's a lot of fun in everything I've pretty much ever seen him do, really. But this uh, this is what I was saying. Like When he's called into the room, apparently, and said he's never going to draw a dime, just looking, trying my very best to look at this objectively... The the new skyscraper. I don't know who the old skyscrapers were. I I assume I'm missing a trick here. But uh, Dan Spivy and Mark Calloway both show incredible amounts of potential here. They're both they feed into that Road Warriors brawl, and this is complete chaos in the very best sense, in the best way that wrestling can be chaotic. I saw a lot of potential in him here, honestly. And again, this wasn't really a match. This was more of a segment pretending to be a match just to set up a story that's going to go down the line to the next pay-per-view. Turns into complete utter chaos. There's chairs. Taker was also practicing practicing his snake eyes back then. I, I guess I just wasn't looking at Callaway as much as you were. I didn't notice any of well, this. He, yeah, he did He did the, the top rope and then bring down with the arm. He, he did it twice in this match. I was paying special attention he did, to it. He obviously. did an old school. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um... But I, yeah, I just thought there was some very impressive athleticism from both Taker and Spivy, considering their size. And I don't really understand why he was so bitterly just thrown away like that. Like, obviously, he wasn't the most uh, charismatic guy in the room, but I, they could have easily built him up, dyed his hair, and used him as a a, a heel for a babyface champion down Maybe line. that is the problem. NWA's mentality, back then at least, was that everyone needs to know everything, like you said with Terry Funk. And yeah. Undertaker has never been very good on the mic. But he's got a great look, yeah. like you said. And back then, he was very fast in the ring. He was a good... I thought this was money. Like it, Even the point where the managers start beating each other up. <laughs> everybody's going absolutely crazy the ref's just basically sitting in the in the corner crying i i thought this was this was proper money i'm not sure whether they had a match on a on a pay-per-view did they yeah they're, they're gonna have a match on the very next pay-per-view oh, okay it so sets like, up again, a story i guess i'm watching this in real time because i don't know what's on the pay-per-view but uh they're doing a very good job to me of of setting up pay-per-view matches that i actually want to see the last match we've got to talk about i think so is the stunt the Steiners versus Doom. I never, I never can tell the difference between Rick and Scott Steiner. Really? Who's so? Which one wears the 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 wrestling ear protectors? That's Rick. Okay. Did you get it the wrong way around? The other one. <laughs> I no, I just never know. I'm always confused about which one's which. Honestly, they don't even look similar. I, I just never been told. You know. Honestly, you can tell the difference between Rick and Scott by their in ring ability. Uh, if you look across their entire tag team run, Scott is the guy. Scott is so talented in the ring. He does amazing things. Rick has kind of been following his coattails for his entire career. Uh, but even from this match... You're just a Scott Steiner, Mark. Oh, yeah, man. Easy, bro. Easy. Even from this match, Steiner deserved a singles championship career way before WCW 2000. Some of the Frankensteiners on this thing, man. Right, so let me, what just, a give, maneuver. Let me, let me just give you some context of the match that's happening here. It's t- a title versus mask match for the NWA World... The World or the... Yeah, the World Championship, Tag Championship. So Doom is very obviously Ron Simmons and another guy underneath plain black masks. 
and they very much yeah. don't want to lose these masks. And I guess something would have been going on on TV. We're a bit out of the loop. But JR and Cornette do not really explain too well why they're so desperate to stay underneath a mask. And the Steiners really... are so desperate to take their masks off them. It really did feel like uh, Doom had just very sadly lost a lot of self-confidence, didn't it, really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they, but they just... Was Ron Simmons all that big before 1990? Because I know in the next couple of years he becomes a main eventer in WCW. I think Ron Simmons at this point was kind of, had been floating around the mid-card and occasionally been given a match against a bigger guy. It was kind of like Edge in 2002 where he's he's largely a mid-card guy fighting mid-card guys, but very occasionally gets to face that Brock Lesnar just for one match. Okay, because that's, it's... That's the sort of place he was at. It's so awkwardly obvious that it's Ron Simmons underneath that mask. You can even hear him talk. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the other guy, I didn't, I couldn't tell who it was because I didn't know who the other guy was before this match. So Butch, Butch Reed's actually a bit of a legend. Uh, he, he paved the way for... He was the... the older slightly older guy of um the two ron simmons he wasn't that, that much older in age but i think he got into wrestling in sort of uh eight the early 80s and he was part of mid-south wrestling in the definitely the mid 80s and drew quite a bit there and was like quite a big heel in that territory okay so, so he was the so my he was point... the older statesman. Okay. He'd also already he'd also uh, sorry he'd also already had a WWF contract and been in WWF for two years prior to this. Okay, so the point being is that any hardcore fans in attendance would very obviously know who's under these plain black masks. Yes. yes. So what's the fucking point? I don't understand <laughs> it at all. I don't know, and I mean this was actually a paper this was a, a clash with quite a lot of gimmicks and not a lot of them made sense like norman the lunatic and kevin sullivan in a fool's count anywhere match it just kind of felt like that it felt like that thing that impact does sometimes AEW does that underdog promotion that overstacks their card a little bit too much so if you're not paying attention on tv and you're about to flick the channel oh there's another gimmick yeah sure it kind of it kind of felt like that sort of thing uh, but I don't know why the masks were put on in the first place. It was pretty, it was pretty stupid. It, it got to the levels of, of comedy where uh, Butch Reed has his mask ripped off him and he, he just can't show the camera's face despite the fact mm. that everybody everybody knows who Butch Reed is. And there's nothing wrong with point. his face. <laughs> no, he, they both look very pretty. I don't really understand. It's like maybe they're fugitives in hiding. What? But then why would you be on national TV? <laughs> well, why, why would you choose to... to not have you wear a mask for 15 years of your career if you're a fugitive okay so jim corner has line of the night for me during this match he goes scott steiner is so stupid it takes him an hour and a half to watch 60 minutes i did enjoy Bam. that right. proper hill commentator man yeah it was great it was great because the steiners uh, are over is crazy they're the baby faces here i've heard many many times that throughout their career the steiners worked really stiff and I've watched a lot of Steiner tag matches. I really enjoy them. They're actually some of the highlights of 93, 94 WWF cards. I think that Doom were definitely giving receipts here. This was a little bit tough. This was a little bit aggressive. Ron Simmons is a tough son of a bitch, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I've heard so many times with the Steiners that 
they they stiffed you and you didn't do anything about it. Whereas it looked like Butch Reed and Ron Simmons weren't having it in this match. They gave as good as they got, sure. This match actually felt a little bit more laid out as well in comparison to the rest of the card. Felt like they'd actually sat and talked to each other about what they wanted to do and why. Well, it is a championship match. Yeah. Put some but, I mean, in. just uh, pretty much, again, I enjoyed this whole show. This was another highlight of it. Obviously, it wasn't the greatest match in ring, but it kept my attention. It was some great moves, great back and forth, and I, I enjoyed it. It felt give like... Them, give or take the silly angle. It felt like these two wanted to fuck each other up. Well, I think they did, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a fantastic spot, which is just... Bad shit crazy, but Rick Steiner gets on all fours and starts howling at a dog at Ron Simmons. And Ron Simmons just, like, sits back in the corner, like, what the fuck? How do I react to that? <laughs> That's not a normal thing to do, you know? Yeah, I, I did enjoy uh, the Steiner's, Steiner's promo beforehand as well, where they literally just say, get ready, and then bark like dogs. That was a Rick Steiner thing. Okay. Again, I mean, if we follow WCW all the way to the brutal end... I think you you will and WWE actually you will learn that Rick was what can I say Rick was the, the Alec Baldwin's brother. Well, you you know I always prefer the B man in tag teams. Yeah. So I'm going to end up liking this guy more than Scott Steiner. Probably. You you already shown some distaste for Scott Steiner. You called me a Steiner mark. Everybody should be a Steiner mark. Steiner no, I'm not. That's not Steiner. distaste for Steiner. I'm just saying you're a bit biased. So, of yeah, course, you're going to say... Steiner was my champion, man. He's my eight-year-old champion. Okay. Uh, there's an absolute picture-perfect body-body overhead suplex. Maybe the best one I've ever seen in my life in this Was match. it delivered by Scott Steiner? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rick Steiner rips off one of the masks off uh, Butch Reed before the match even ends. And then... The Steiners win, they retain their championships, and then Doom 2 is Ron Simmons is forced to take his mask off, but it's a big to-do to take it off for whatever reason. Um, to, to be fair, this match built the Steiners up great. While not necessarily the the best thing that they could have been given, it also gave Doom something to do down the line. They've got something coming out of this. They're like, uh, you know, they took our masks off. We're really angry now. We're going to be even more heelish than ever. Sure. I, there must be some sort of story, but I just wasn't getting it. Um, and then, of, and then, of course, woman walks out with Doom because she has scouted them apparently <laughs> from an hour ago. Oh wait, somehow, so, whatever. So was she already part of Doom, or did she become part of Doom after? I I don't know. I didn't catch it on what we watched. I just heard um, Shivani talking about JR how stupid it was, or Savorni talk about it. Did, that apparently, she, she was meant to be scouting them and then joined forces with them or something after this show i know that this com- question is too complex to be intelligent because like obviously there's so many variables and so many different aspects that you would have to assimilate to answer it but just basically if you transported wrestling's first boom into 2020 and it's so say 2020 was when wrestling first became popular do you think wwf would be on top or WCW, if you if you gave wrestling to a 2020 audience, and obviously that doesn't mean that it's the exact same content, but you take WWF's approach to wrestling, you take WCW's approach to wrestling, you give them the same budgets. In 2020, oh, if see. we were starting originally, okay. do you think WWF would be on top? No. WCW would. would. Uh, I think nowadays everyone really kind of likes the independent look, like the little man vibe. The 
huge LED screens, I think, is, like, going by the side a little bit. Like, it's too flashy and it's putting people off. And then also the style. Uh, WCW has just, a, like, a, a style of wrestling that will last forever. It's just old-school wrestling, you know? They just want to fuck each other up. Uh-huh. Whereas WWF has this big titans, larger-than-love life guys that you can't really connect with so well. I, I do find it really hard to put into words because during this era, we're obviously comparing this with Royal Rumble 1990. The thing that you could say most about uh, WWF is character, right? They had characters and gimmicks for pretty much every single wrestler out there. They were all completely over the top and larger than life, as you said. And yet, to me, watching Clash of Champions 10, I think if I was a kid, the characters that would come across to me more vividly are the the people in Clash of Champions because they are, I guess, I guess more refined, more subtle in their characteristics. Well, it's just they feel like they're real people, so you can just connect with them a bit more. You can sympathize with the good guys. You want to hate the bad guys because you understand their lives. And yet, the whole basis of WWF booking from from then to now is supposedly character. Well, it's, they're superheroes, aren't they? You know, you, you don't you don't know what Superman or Spider Man is actually feeling in those movies. You can't, you don't know what it's like to walk in his shoes. Whereas with WCW, they just they they feel like real people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's what AEW gets right nowadays as well. Is that I can connect with Cody because I understand what his life is all about. But then someone like Bray Wyatt or even Roman Reigns, like half the time you don't know really understand his character because they're just superheroes but the superhero and supervillain idea of roman reigns and the fiend is one thing they're the most interesting people on the show what bothers me about current wrestling in in general in wwe is the fact that they've tried to go down the route right they've tried to go down the wrestler route who have subtle personalities and act like real people except the fact that they just come off completely flat. They sound like they're reading a script on Hollyoaks. Yeah, because they are reading a script. Sure. If you want to make them feel real, don't script them so much. But I think that's one of the major problems of WWE to this day. They dropped the superhero gimmick. Then they had the everybody was an anti-hero thing. And now they're stuck mm-hmm. in this mire where they, they're trying to emulate WCW in 1990 and can't do it. Yeah. So what was your favorite match on... Clash of Champions, nineteen ninety. Uh, my favorite Texas shootout. So my favorite angle, my f- the best thing on the show to me was the Flair Sting stuff. Like without a doubt. Yeah, sure. The best match yeah. actually, I enjoyed Doom versus the Steiner Brothers a lot, and maybe that is because I'm a Steiner mark. I just thought it was really well paced. It was really well put together. The actual match itself uh, was fluid. Lots of chain wrestling. Lots of great stuff. That was my match. That was the only match of the night that actually felt like an important wrestling match. Mm. Everything else felt like TV filler. Runners up for uh, Cactus Jack and Mil Mascaris, who just sadly didn't get enough time. I think if you'd given them another 5-10 minutes, it, it would have been my favourite match on the show. It would have been match of the night, I think, with another 5 minutes. Yeah. But I mean, good show. Nothing was awful. Nothing was really awful. Even stuff like Norman the Lunatic was entertaining, passable. It was okay. I was surprised of how much I enjoyed this show. Same. It actually made me look forward to Russell War quite a bit. Espe- so, especially with that beautiful advert. That beautiful Russell War advert. 
Oh, we haven't discussed this oh, yet. It... So they made a rap video uh, about all of the storylines going into Wrestle War. Wild thing. Wild thing. So now we know where WWE has got their fascination from of all these stupid taglines. <laughs> you, well, I mean, right at the end, you've got disembodied heads of Ric Flair and Sting mouthing wild thing. Like, yeah. what the fuck was this? <laughs> I wish I had. I wish I had. Um, written the rap down but i, I didn't because it was too cringeworthy was a, but a real anyone listening meme. needs to go and find they need to go and find the rap video advert for wrestle war 1990 yeah. because it's just unbelievably amazing yeah in all the wrong reasons if, if everything else was bad on this show then that would have sold it for me anyway just uh yeah really looking forward to wrestle war 1990 <laughs> man Overall show show overall. Um, I don't know. What do you give it? I gave it an eight out of ten. Whoa! I I Big came marks. out yo. I came out hyped from this. I think it's because I'd watched Rumble the night before. I suppose I. So let just just. I suppose that I'm going into early '90s WCW completely blind, and this has blown all expectations away. Well, that's good. Yeah, but now I'm worried that now I'm on this level, everything coming up is going to become a disappointment. I don't know. I think you're going to have a lot of th- fun with WCW. I think you'll underestimate it a little bit. Before Eric Bischoff came in, sometimes it's very questionable, but it's it's usually pretty good. Just watch out for um, Bill Watts. I think it's Bill Watts. The Bill Watts era is coming up, and that is horrible. Is that 92? Because we watched Halloween Havoc 92, and that was a bit of a chore. This Bill Watts is the guy that asserted that if you... In, for any reason, get over the top rope, you're disqualified. Oh, that rule. That was a fun rule. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, you're right. Wrestle War 1990 will be our next show that we watch. That happened in February. And then it will be WrestleMania 6, I believe. Brother. Which happened in April. That's, well, that's going to be a killer show as well. That's going to be like five, six hours, dude. There are so many matches on that show. It's unreal. Like, we know what a... a 2018 wrestlemania is like imagine nearing that level of time spent on it but 1990 wwe matches so is it just that vince wants to get every single person on the card is that why they're always oh, really long 100 percent. It's, it's it's national payday it's national monopoly day for all the wrestlers it always has been but what's what's vince's thinking on that because Surely he doesn't want to just pay people because that's not good business. Is it that he knows there's more eyes looking on the product at WrestleMania, so he just wants to get all the characters in front of this extra exposure? Or is it really that he wants to give everyone like a Christmas bonus type thing? I think it's definitely seen as a Christmas bonus type thing. I think also uh, Vince McMahon's ideology has changed quite a lot over the years. I don't think it's as much wanting to get people's eyes on all of the characters possible it's that back in these days i think he saw saleability in everything if if everything if not if something isn't saleable then it shouldn't be in his company i think that that's kind of how he thought back in the day so everybody got a place on the card because everybody should have had a place on the card and if they didn't then they shouldn't be in the wwf whereas now it's a very very different story he locks up people for no reason and then doesn't allow them to wrestle. It's a different human being today. Right. Okay, yeah, because there's something crazy like 15 matches on this WrestleMania coming up. 
Jesus. And only one of them goes longer than 10 minutes. After the Royal Rumble, I'm not quite looking forward to this experience. I'm glad we've got Russell War first, honestly. Okay, well, that's it. That's our lineup for the next couple of weeks. We're done. Looking forward to it. Okay, see you then. <laughs> Bye, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, share, and subscribe, and subscribe to, to keep, keep it botched up, up brother. brother.